0: Good morning. It is uh, so good to see you all here uh, at church. It's such a beautiful day outside, isn't it? Um, And uh, I don't know about you, but I live for days like today. And so uh, my name is Eugene. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today is a very special day. It's Father's Day. And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to take a second to uh, pray for all the dads that are here at church because, uh, you know, they're sort of a rare breed here at Cornerstone and they're very special. Um, But uh, just to sort of... uh, illustrate uh, how fathers try so hard to be so good and yet still fall so short. Yesterday, I was trying to uh, take, uh, I've got three boys, and my youngest is 10 months old, and I was trying to take them outside and put them on my shoulders. And to do that, you kind of lift them up and you kind of put them on your shoulders. But, you know, clumsy me, I did it in my doorway. Um, now, if I were to do that right here, I could just kind of toss them up and put them on. But the doorway is only, what, like seven feet high or something or six And so I lifted him, and literally with full, like, force, I just bonked his head, and uh, he burst into tears. And, you know, he only cried for, like, four seconds. But uh, it actually hurt me so much more than it hurt him. And I was trying to do something good, but, again, you know, just falling short. And I think that's how most fathers, most dads feel. We try our hardest uh, to be good parents, to be good fathers, to be good husbands. And uh, we still feel like we fall so short. And so on a day like today... Uh, I'd like to acknowledge the dads that are here uh, to encourage you, to affirm you, to pray for you. And so if you're a dad and you're here today, and I know there aren't many of us, could you stand with me? Could you stand wherever you are? Come on, get up. You're a father. And can you remain standing as we pray for you? Can you remain standing? And and let's pray for these guys, these special men. Uh, Lord God, we we thank you for these these brothers in our midst who uh, uh, carry uh, the call of being fathers, who wear the dad hat each and every day where there is no break, there is no rest, uh, there is no reprieve. Lord, bless them as they continue to give their all and their best, to love their children, to love their wives, to uh, build uh, healthy households. Father, encourage them uh, when times are tough, when they feel frail and weak, and when they're lacking the patience that they need or the strength or the energy that's required uh, to raise uh, beautiful children. Uh, Father, encourage them when they're feeling down on themselves for not having uh, lived up to their own expectations or even to the expectations of those around them. Uh, Lord, strengthen them. Strengthen their hands this morning. Uh, Strengthen them as they uh, enjoy their families. And Lord, may their call... And their uh, duty and their honor and their privilege to be fathers in this world uh, be renewed uh, this morning and this day as we honor them, as we pray for them. And Father, we pray for all of us here today uh, who have fathers in this world. Uh, Many of us, some of us, Lord, have relationships with our fathers that have uh, taken a turn uh, for the worse. And we need healing. We need reconciliation. We need to sort of renew our relationships with our dads. Somewhere along the way, we've become estranged and, and driven apart from them. And so, Lord, today on Father's Day, we do ask for your grace and your forgiveness and your healing. And, Lord, we also recognize that there are some of us here who have lost our fathers and have had to say goodbye. Whether it's been recent or whether it's been years, the pain of that loss still runs deep in our souls. And so, Lord, even today we ask for that healing and that comfort because, Lord, we know that ultimately the comfort comes from knowing that you are our perfect Heavenly Father. You never change. You love us. You care for us. You forgive us. You are gentle. You are patient. You are kind. And so, Lord, today we give you thanks and we give you praise, Heavenly Father, not only for our earthly fathers but for your Great love, so that we are no longer orphans, that we are not fatherless, but that we are your beloved. So, Lord, we thank you for this day, that is a reminder for us all. Would you bless us in Jesus' name? We pray. Amen. Thank you. Um, I have one uh, other quick announcement before we jump into the Word. Um, We uh, are in the season of the life of our church. This happens every year where. Uh, we, uh, the leadership and, and the staff get together and for uh, about five or six weeks we spend time praying and discerning and really looking for people within uh, our, our body, within our community to help us uh, serve and to lead Cornerstone in the coming year and in the coming years. And uh, through this process uh, we've been able to discern and, and, and nominate successfully two uh, members of our congregation. Uh, their names are Uh, Dan Park, uh, I don't know if he's here today, and Priscilla Chan. And uh, what we generally tend to do is we tend to uh, send out ballots to the church, and we ask for your affirmation. It's not a popularity vote, it's not whether you know them or not, but it's to say, can we affirm uh, this brother and the sister who we feel the Lord has called uh, to be servant leaders uh, here at Cornerstone? And we just ask for your support, your prayers in that. And so this year what we're going to do is we're going to send these ballots out uh, via email through our mailing list, our Cornerstones mailing list. We're going to do it during the week just because we're in the summer and so so much of our congregation is away. And so uh, a couple of things, this is a good reminder, if you're not on our mailing list, go to cornerstoneboston.org to what's happening, you'll find an email list tab, go there, sign up. It's how you can get all the official announcements and that is sort of the channel that we will be using in this week to ask for you all to pray for and support uh, Dan and Priscilla as they uh, accept the call to serve and to lead here at Cornerstone Church. Uh, So keep an eye out for that, we ask you to uh, just... uh, you know, share, uh, again, your affirmation or any even concerns that you may have, uh, not only for these two people, but for our leadership and our staff in general. We uh, want this to be an open uh, communication uh, between us and you and and together. So I just want to let you know of that. Uh, Be looking for that email this week. Um, And uh, I'd like for us to kind of now move toward uh, to our sermon Um, We had a guest speaker last week, Steve Cushing from New England Seafarers Mission, and uh, before him, for the few weeks uh, uh, that we've been together, we've been going through this series called Rhythm, which is really uh, rediscovering the classic spiritual disciplines. We've talked about prayer, uh, meditation, rest, uh, Bible study. And if you were to categorize these disciplines, basically you would call them sort of the inward, of uh, the personal disciplines. That's what you do in your heart, in your soul, oftentimes by yourself. But today I want us to move uh, a little uh, in, in a broader direction and I want us to talk about a corporate discipline. And today's discipline that we're going to be looking at is worship. And you're probably thinking, how is worship a spiritual discipline? But you, know, you have to realize that these disciplines, they're not just uh, something you do one day and, you, and then you're done with it, but it's as we've been calling it, something we want to build into the rhythm of our lives on a daily basis. And corporate worship is built into the rhythm of our week. As Christ followers, we gather together on Sundays to worship the Lord. And we do this together once a week together. And so this is a a corporate worship, and I want to talk about what worship is and how we do it and how to make the most of it. Because the truth is, as Christians... We believe in a lot of great things. We have a lot of great beliefs. We have awesome theology. We have creeds. We have confessions. We have the Ten Commandments. We have a lot of great, wonderful doctrine and belief. But to be honest with you, it means nothing because in a lot of ways, it does nothing to change our lives. Christians can believe in all these great things, but just believing in them doesn't make us more like Jesus. It's the application of the spiritual disciplines that form us and shape us daily, constantly, to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's the importance of this series. Because there are a lot of Christians who believe a lot of great things and they're just as stuck up and stubborn and messed up and selfish as anyone else who doesn't go to church. And so our call is is to not remain that way, is to take our beliefs, but to put them into action and to live them out and to arrange our lives in such a way so as for the Holy Spirit to change us little by little each and every day, to renew us, to recreate us. And so to talk about worship today, I want to turn to a psalm, Psalm 95. It's um, probably the best psalm in the Bible that really talks about worship to, to, to the core of what it is. And so, Let's read this together. It's my, one of my favorite psalms. Beginning in verse 1, the psalmist writes, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what i did for 40 years i was angry with that generation i said they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways so i declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest this is the word of the lord can we bow in prayer heavenly father as we uh come before you and kneel and bow in worship Would you take the proper place in the throne of our hearts? Would you fill our minds and our thoughts? Would all of our affections and emotions be centered around you at this time? Father, show us how wonderful and beautiful it is for us to come and to express our deepest longings, our deepest expression, to give you praise, to give you honor, to give you glory and worth. Father, not only lead us today, but teach us today. Not only instruct us, but form us, reform us. We give you praise, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to share a Greek proverb with you that goes something like this. The bow that is always bent... This is not from the Bible. This is from, uh, this is from Greek literature. The bow that is always bent will eventually break. The bow that is always bent will eventually break. It means that a bow that is always under constant stress, constant tension, constant pressure, always being pulled in the same direction will sooner or later snap. It will break into pieces. And I think this proverb is so fitting for our society because so many people are constantly under stress. We're constantly feeling this tension, this frustration, the weight and the burden of living in the lives that we have. And I know that so many of you come to church this morning and you're feeling stressed about something. I know for a lot of you, if not for most of you, you're stressed out about money. You're stressed out about finances. I mean, it's so much a part of our lives. We don't have enough of it. Some of you are having to deal with debt, with loans, with financial obligations and responsibilities. I know some of you are working as hard as you can because you're also supporting other people in your family or or loved ones or neighbors. Every spare dollar or penny or quarter nickel or anything left over from your paycheck, you're sending away to people that you care about who are also in need of financial help. And you're worried about it. You're stressed out. How am I going to pay these bills? How am I going to pay off this loan or this debt? When am I going to get that raise? When am I going to get that promotion? When is the cost of gas going to finally come back down to earth? And we're stressed out about it in so many different ways. Some of you are stressed out about your career, your job, either the job that you have or the job that you don't have. Some of you are wanting jobs and you're looking for jobs and you're so worried and you're stressed. And each day that goes by without signing a contract to work for someone or to work for a company, you get even more stressed and more strung up. And others of you, you're going to work every day, Monday through Friday, nine to five or or nine to nine or whatever. You're working these crazy hours and and you're asking for relief, you're stressed out, or you're bored, or you're unfulfilled, and it bothers you. You're stressed out about your work. And and for some of you, it's relationships. You're in a relationship. That's just causing an incredible amount of frustration and stress in your life. Maybe it's a roommate, or a neighbor, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or a spouse, or a child, or a parent, or an in-law. These relationships are just making life so hard to live, aren't they? And I could go on and on. Those are just some of the common ones. But I bet you there is an endless list of things that if we were all to pull in in this congregation, in this room today, there would be an endless list of things that are literally stressing us out. We're like the bow that is always bent. And if one more thing comes into our lives, if one more pressure, one more stress, one more accident or unforeseen event were to enter into our life today or tomorrow or next week or next month, we literally feel like we're going to snap and go berserk. And as people of God, as Christ followers, if we are not careful, the stressful lives that we live will squeeze out every bit of joy that God wants to bless us with. We aren't able to live the abundant life. That's why we've been in this sermon series, because we're going through life dragging our feet, hoping that it'll get better, looking at the greener grass that's on the other side, which is really just a mirage, an illusion. When the gift of the abundant life is available now, and if we're not careful, every single one of us will let stress, anxiety, fear, and pain oppress us so much so that we can't even enjoy a nice day like today. A day that's so fitting for worship, so fitting for praise of our mighty God. Now how do we deal with these pressures, these burdens, with these stresses that we're all dealing with? We all, we're all like bent bows here today, right? We're like just, and, and you know what? that extra, you know, unforeseen, unfortunate event that's going to happen, it's not about if it comes, but when it comes, because it will in all of our lives. How do we deal with it? How How do we overcome these things in such a way that we can experience the joy that Christ has for us, the blessing that God is showering upon our lives? Well, the key to it all is worship. Because what happens is, I know this might sound kind of crazy, but We actually worship our problems. And you might be thinking, I don't worship my problems. I could care the least. But when you're constantly thinking about them, when they affect every decision you make in life, when every step you take, you have to be careful. It's like walking around on eggshells so as not to make life more worse. You're worshiping it. You're giving it all of your attention. All of your thought goes to that problem. Wouldn't it be better to worship something or someone that wants to bless you and love you and alleviate this pressure and this stress from your life? Well, I think that's the place of worship in our lives. I think that's what God wants to do. And I want to look at this psalm with you and literally just go verse by verse to show you what worship is, what it's all about, and how we can do it better. The psalmist begins in verse 1 by saying, Can I get some help? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. It's kind of like he's inviting us to a party, a celebration. He says, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him. What the psalmist is saying is as we come before God, Let's bring all of who we are before him. And let me tell you this, worship is taking every part of your person, all of who you are, your mind, your heart, your will, and giving God praise. It's ascribing him ultimate value and ultimate worth. And the reason why I want us to take take a look at these first two verses is because look at the way the psalmist is asking us to have our joy and our thanksgiving, our emotions involved in the activity of worship. I I think so many of us, when we come to church, we leave our emotions at the door. At least when I'm looking around, I I see very little emotion in this room. And it, it concerns me a lot, to be honest with you. I've even heard some of you say, well, you know, when I come to church, the reason why I come late is because, you know, I don't really... I don't know, the singing doesn't do anything for me. I just want to hear the sermon. I just want to hear God's word and then I'm going to leave. As if to say worship is just intellectual. It's just cerebral. But the psalmist is saying it's so much more than that. It's also emotional. And as we'll look later down in verses 6 and 7, it's also Submitting your will to God. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, submitting your will to God. So, not just what you're thinking, not just what you're feeling, but also what you're doing. Are you able to take all of those things and give God praise, give God worth, give God the value that He deserves? I would love to just challenge you all here today in church. Maybe we can begin today. maybe during the sermon, but especially as we respond again in, in music and corporate singing, to open your heart in worship. And maybe you're unfamiliar with the music or maybe you're uh, self-conscious because uh, you sing out of pitch or out of key or whatever. You know, it's, all, it's okay. That's why we kind of pump it up so we don't have to hear you sing. Um, but w- what if we were to just uh, let out a song of joy? if we were to express our thanksgiving, when somebody gives you a gift and it's something that you've always wanted, do you just say, oh, thanks? You knew exactly what I wanted. Or do you say, oh my gosh, thank you. I can't believe you got that for me. How did you know? And you express. Or you see somebody famous walking by the street. Immediately you take out your phone and you're like, oh, you know. Or you go to a restaurant and you sit down and you have a meal that just blows your mind. You can't stop talking about it. You tell your friends. So many of you take pictures of your food when you go to restaurants and you post them on your Facebook. I don't understand that. Okay? Because I can't taste it. I can look at it, but I can't smell it. And like 80% of you do this because all of your posts are about your food. Anyway... You get what I'm saying here? When you enjoy something, when there's something that's of worth, and I'm just talking about food, I'm just talking about a present or a gift or a wonderful day, it animates us. If Jesus were to be sitting here in front of us as we worship and sing praises to his name, would he get the sense that we are overflowing with joy and thanksgiving? Or would he say, gosh, why are these people even here? They don't look like they want to be here. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to fake it. I don't want to act like I want to be here. I don't want to act joyful if I'm not feeling that way. But let me tell you something. For a lot of us, before you feel that way, you have to act that way. Before you feel thankful, before you feel joy, you've got to move in that direction. I was in a Bible study last night with some of the couples in our church, and we talked about this exact same thing. We don't always feel romantic to our spouses. At the end of a long day or a long week or a long year, we're tired. We're maxed out. The last thing I feel like doing is saying something cheesy or romantic to my wife, doing something sweet and kind. And so if I wait until spontaneity pops up into my life to do those things, you know what, I won't do them enough. But we talked about the need to be proactive and intentional. And in the process of showing our love and our affection to our spouses, we begin to feel that way as well. And so maybe you're thinking, you know, it's just not my style, I'm just not in the mood. Well, you're not trying either, and that will not help. So I'm not saying we've got to, like, smile and, you know, do all these things. You know, if you worship silently and quietly, if you prefer to sit, that's fine. I'm not telling us all to do it the same way, but I am asking us to heed the words of the psalmist in 95, to come and sing for joy to the Lord to shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, to let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And now comes the most important preposition of the entire psalm. Can I get some help? For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Why should we come into the house of prayer, into this place of worship, with thanksgiving, with joy, shouting aloud, extolling his name? Because he is the great God, the great king above all gods. And the reason why the word Lord is capitalized is because it is the Hebrew word for Yahweh. It's God's personal name. That This God, not just any God, not just any deity, not just any Lord or Master, but Yahweh is the great God, the great King above all gods. That when we come before Him, He is awesome and majestic. And sometimes I have a hard time wrapping my mind around how great God actually is. I mean, there are days when it's easy, but there are a lot more days when it's just really hard. I mean, God is just an abstract abstract figment of my imagination at times and I just can't wrap my mind around how awesome he is until I put it into perspective. Until I realize how small I am. Yesterday I took my kids out to the Bruins Parade, right? In the last 10 years, this city has celebrated has had seven parades for these championships. I mean we're spoiled to death, right? And I thought to myself, wow, what if we don't have another championship for like 50 more years? Might as well go out and enjoy this one now. So I took my kids out there, and uh, we went out, and you know, I don't know, I just guess I thought we were going to be along the street, we were going to watch it go by, but there were millions of people out there, and they were all bigger than us. And we couldn't see, and I felt so bad because my kids are like this tall, and I can't see, and I'm, you know, twice their height. So I'm lifting one at a time on my shoulder, like, here you go, take a look, you know, and taking time. And because it was a championship, everybody was feeling the brotherly love. So this stranger's like, hey, I'll help you out. And he picks up one of my other kids and puts him on his shoulder. And we're looking over the heads. And thankfully, they're going by on those uh, duck boats. So they're elevated and they're high. But I was just reminded of how small I was and how big the city is. But maybe that doesn't even put it in perspective. Uh, yeah, I love science because science always reminds me not only of how small we are, but how big creation is. Stephen Hawking, who is probably one of the smartest people of our time, this Cambridge physicist, writes that the galaxy is constantly expanding, even now as we sit here in worship. And that the nearest, no, 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 that the farthest galaxy from our own is 80 billion light years away. Do you know how far a light year is? A light year is 365 days times 186,000 miles per second. So you've got to do some conversions there. You can't just do the straight math. That's how far it is away. And it's constantly expanding at 20 million miles an hour every day. It's getting bigger, basically. Even if we could see that far, by the time light reached that destination, we would have been dead for decades because we can't even live that long for light to travel that far. And the scriptures tell us that God sustains the universe in Hebrews, the universe with the word of his mouth. He is a great God. And that's why we should worship. And then the psalmist just illustrates it. Can I get some help? Verse 4, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. Again, if you can't wrap your mind around the greatness of God, he says in very poetic language, in his hand, in the palm of his hand, are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks. Have you ever been down into the depths of the ocean? Or have any of you climbed a mountain? There is no one on earth that has ever gone to the deepest depth and the highest place. Because you'd have to be an expert in both of those environments. Not only do you have to be an expert oceanographer, but you have to be a hardcore mountain trekker. Very few people have been to either of those places, much less both. And yet the psalmist is saying, in God's hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. Again, illustrating to us the greatness of our God. Can we go to the next verse? The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Basically, everything you see around you, everywhere you could possibly go, it is God's creation. So the reason why we should give him our all is because he is great. Because not only did he create all things, but he continues to sustain them. That's how big God is, and that's why he deserves our affection. But Then let's go to the next verse. Verse 6, come. Again, he's reminding us, let us bow down in worship. He's pleading with us again, let us bow down. Now he's saying, submit, humble yourself before God. Submit your will to the will of God. He says, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, our maker. And this word here, maker, is the same word in Hebrew that's used, that, uh, that he used just before in these previous verses, how he made the dry land and the sea, the oceans. So not only did God create and make everything around us, but he made you and me. He made us. He is our maker. If God is that big and that majestic and that grand, he also knows every hair on your head because he made you. Every single one of you here have 220 bones in your body. Every single one of you. We all have 220 bones. And believe it or not, wrapped around those bones, I know this is hard to believe, but there are over 600 muscles. And you're probably thinking, I didn't know I had muscles. Well, it's underneath that layer of cushion that we all have. Okay? Okay. So we have over 600 muscles wrapped around these bones. On your tongue, there are over 9,000 taste buds. If you like to eat like I do, you should thank God every time you taste something because God has given you 9,000 different ways to enjoy flavor. In your body, there are over 60,000 miles of veins and arteries that move your blood around, that keep you circulated and alive, 60,000 miles. Some cars don't even drive that long in a lifetime, right? 60,000 miles of veins and arteries in your body. There's a 100 million cells composed in your eyeball so that you can tell light from darkness. And you can discern all the colors of the flags. And you can perceive depth and nearness. So that you can read. So that you can see beauty. God made you this way. Every cell in your being, every hair on your head, he is our maker. He is our God. So why should we worship him? Because He knows us so intimately. You think your best friend or your spouse or your parents know you? Think about how God knows you. He knows you to the core of your existence, every fiber of your being. Verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. I'm just going to finish with this verse. It says that he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. And the image, the symbolism that the psalmist is using here, the pasture is symbolizing God's provision in our lives. Maybe you don't have everything you want, and maybe you don't even have everything you need. But the psalmist is saying that God is our God and we are the people of his pasture. He has given us provision. He has blessed us with life. He has given us everything we need. And in the second part of this verse, the flock under his care, again, there's a sense that he is our shepherd and we are his flock, which means two things of God. It means that he is not only our guide, the one who leads us out into the wilderness for pasture, for grazing, so that we can also get back home, but he is also our protection because a shepherd's job was to guide the flock out to graze in the pastures, but also to protect the flock from the threat of attack of predators. And so not only does God sustain the universe, is not only God great, does not only God create us, every cell of our being and who we are, not only does he love us, but he provides for us, he guides us, and he protects us. And for all of these reasons, when we come before the Lord, we should sing with joy, We should listen to his voice and we should kneel before him and worship. All of who we are our emotions, our mental capacity, our ability to listen and understand, but also to submit our will, to kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. All of who we are. Ascribing greatness, all of who we are ascribes greatness to all of who God is. And then later in this psalm, he says, well, remember the generation before you. They did not remember me. They were living from miracle to miracle. They were in the wilderness and they were thirsty. There was no water, so they grumbled. So I gave them water from a rock, but then they forgot about my faithfulness. And in in other words, he's saying, don't live like them. Don't live from miracle to miracle, but live for me every single day. And oftentimes we live from week to week or miracle to miracle, or answer prayer to answer prayer. And we forget God's faithfulness. And so this is where I want to tie it all together and give us some application. How can we develop and cultivate the spiritual discipline of worship better in our lives? Well, the first thing I would say is this. Practice the presence of God every single day. Practice the presence of God every single day. Worship is not just the activity that you engage in on Sundays when you go to church. This is, yes, corporate worship, but worship is what we give to God every day, all the time. And the truth is, many of us are not giving it to him enough. The expression, practicing the presence of God, comes from uh, a monk who lived in the 1600s named Brother Lawrence. He wasn't famous. He wasn't well-respected. He was actually very low on the totem pole of this monastery that he lived in because his job was kitchen duty. He worked in the kitchen every day, all the time. His job was kitchen duty. Not worship leader, not Bible expositor, but wash the dishes. And it wasn't until after he died that they were reading through his journals and his, his writings, and they found this incredible depth and dimension of worship that Brother Lawrence lived by. He would talk about how he would wash the dishes and do it with joy and thanksgiving. Praising God with every scrub. Can we turn to the next slide? This is an expert from his book. Brother Lawrence writes, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love and it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet, It might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? When he says common business, he's talking about the everyday life and everything in between. Can you commute to work? Can you check your email? Can you do the dishes? Can you do the laundry? Can you talk to your friends or your neighbors? Can you take out the trash or cut the grass? Can you do all this common business wholly for the Lord? Well, if you want to become more worshipful people, this is a discipline we have to try. Remember, discipline is not something that comes easy. It's not like tomorrow you can just go and run a marathon. Now you've got to discipline yourself and train and practice and prepare so that you can enable your body to do that which it was enabled to do at birth. And in the same way, spiritually, can we worship God every day constantly? Well, we can, but we must practice it. And so this is my first point. Practice the presence of God every day. Secondly, you've heard me say this many times, and I'll say it again. Make Sundays count. Make Sundays count. And this is my last point, but underneath it, there's like 25 points, but I'll only give you a few. How do we make Sundays count? Well, I will say this first. Go to sleep earlier on Saturday night. Do you hear me? Go to sleep earlier on Saturday night, because how can you give God the attention that he needs and deserves if you're falling asleep in church? How can you receive the blessing of God's word being spoken when you're so tired and groggy, your mind is constantly drifting away to, I wish I could just like put my head down or I'm hungry or what am I doing next? Go to sleep earlier. And I'm not saying this is like the way to salvation or this is the way to holiness, but by staying up all night on Sunday, coming to church tired, barely making it on time, How are we possibly setting ourselves up to be blessed? To come into the presence of God. To receive his word, his truth, his spirit. I know some of you don't need that much sleep and I know others of you need more of it. Depending on who you are, get the amount of sleep that you need to come to church, to be fully awake, to be able to give God your undivided attention. People say, oh, it's hard to wake up early. Well, I always thought, because my dad told me this when I was growing up, he beat this into my brain, you think it's hard to wake up early, but it's actually harder to go to sleep early. The reason why it's hard to wake up early is because we go to sleep late. But if you go to sleep a little earlier and you come in and you're ready for what you're about to do, how much more can you enjoy and experience it? Some of you will get a good night's rest before an interview, and it's just an interview for a job that you're not even going to keep. That long, all right? Some of you get a, a good night's rest uh, because you're going to do something fun the next day. Why don't we get a good night's rest for worship? You're probably thinking, but it's the weekend. Well, then stay up all night on Friday. Stay up all night on Friday. Stay up until four in the morning and then sleep all day Saturday. But on Saturday night, get rest because this is more important than getting rest Sunday night before work. Get rest on Saturday nights. Come to church with expectancy, which means come, not on time, but I'd say come early. Now, I know some of you can't help it. You know, the commute or whatever, there are reasons why you come late. Don't make it a habit. We can be late occasionally, and that's totally fine. No one's keeping track. But let's try to come earlier and enter into this room. And I know it doesn't look like a a sanctuary or a tabernacle. It just looks like an auditorium of the school with a lot of flags. But what if we were to come in here and just center ourselves before the Lord in quietness and prayer? And what if as we were doing that, we looked at the other people around in the room and we prayed for them that God would speak to them and bless them? Or maybe even better, get up, walk across the room and say, Hi, my name is Eugene. What's your name? Do you mind if we just pray together as we prepare for worship today? Imagine if everybody did that. You know, I know the church is not a very welcoming place at times or most of the time. And our job isn't to be like a welcoming place. Our our job is to be a worshipful place. But what if our worship was so authentic and corporate that it wasn't about just me coming in and sitting down and just, you know, hearing the sermon, checking in, checking out. But it was about coming in, coming before the Lord with my brothers and sisters and giving him all of my attention. How else can we make Sundays count? Turn off your phones when you come to church. You're not that important, trust me, okay? The text message, the email, the Twitter feed, whatever it is that you're going to miss for the next 90 minutes, don't worry, it's not the end of the world, okay? You're not that important. If you're a doctor and you're on call, I understand, but there's only a few of you here, okay? The rest of you, you're not that important, okay? So turn it off because when you feel that thing vibrating or going off in your pocket or in your bag, it immediately distracts you from what you should be doing. And not only that, even if it doesn't go off, because most of you, you know, you'd like for it to go off, but it doesn't go off enough, you look at it to, to make yourself feel important, but also to say, well, what am I doing today or tomorrow after church? And you're looking at your, your schedule your schedule, or you're waiting for an email to come back or something, but you're not focusing on the act of worship. So just turn it off for an hour and a half. Trust me, you'll be better for it. Get some rest on Saturday night. Turn off your phones. Come to church with expectancy. And try with everything you have to sing the songs that we're singing, to listen to the message that we're preaching, and to to hear the words of the prayers we are praying. Because again, I, I, I have a tendency to do this, and I, and I know many of you as well. But we sing these songs, and we're not even thinking about the lyrics, are we? Oftentimes, we're just—it's just kind of like a read-along, a sing-along. But let's think about the lyrics of the songs that we're singing. The meaning, the significance behind those words. Let's listen to the sermon. Now, I know in this day and age, our attention spans are really challenged and tested. I'm not very good to look at. and I don't have all these moving graphics animations. I know it's hard to sit still for 30 minutes and just hear a sermon. But try, if you can, to pick it up, to listen to it. If it helps to take notes, do that. I know for some of you, you take notes not just because you're studious, but it helps you to pay attention. And when we're praying, pay attention to the words of the prayers that are being prayed for you, that are being prayed with you, even the prayers that you're being invited to pray when we go into prayer corporately. Make Sunday count. Because Sunday is not the only time we worship, but it is an extension of what should be happening Monday through Saturday. And imagine if it was an extension for all of us of what's happening already through the week. This really would be a place where we're shouting Thanksgiving not just mumbling it or just moving our lips. We would come with joy and thanksgiving. This would be a place of praise and adoration. This isn't going to happen overnight, not for most of us, but again, I'm inviting you. Like I said a month ago, let's start praying five minutes a day. Just start talking to God for five minutes, no more, no less. Every day, just five minutes. If you need to turn on your stopwatch, fine, do it. But Turn it on and pray for five minutes. Make sure you're getting rest. Make sure you're experiencing the Sabbath. Spend some time meditating on the Scriptures, just resting in the words of God. We use the the, the, the illustration of marinating, right? Just marinate your soul with God's Word. Read God's Word and make Sundays count. Practice the presence of God daily. And this is all going to require time and effort, but without it, We won't change. You'll come to church for, you've been coming to church, some of you for 10 years and you haven't changed. Not since you were in youth group. And you're adults now. And you'll keep coming to church for 10 more years and you still won't change. Spiritually, you'll still be immature. You'll still be small. You won't be experiencing the abundant life. As your pastor, I'm challenging you to take your spiritual life into your own hands because I can't come to your house three times a day, 7 days a week and spoon-feed you. That's not my job. But I want to equip you to enable you and to empower you to be the holy priesthood of God and to do these things every day together and by yourselves. Let us pray. Lord God, we um We come into this place with so much anxiety and worry and stress. And like a bent bow, we feel like we're about to snap. But Lord, quickly, you have reminded us that the weight of the world is nothing compared to who you are and what you are and what you have done. So Father, give us proper perspective in our lives not only give us a bigger picture of who you are, God, but help us to have a more humble picture of who we are. And may we humble ourselves before you as we kneel before you, our Lord, our maker. Lord God, turn our hearts to you in worship. Help us to seek you every day. Lord, as the psalmist has said, help us to taste and to see that you are good with all of our senses, with all of our being. May all of who we are give you ultimate worth, ultimate value, and ultimate glory. Lord God, we pray these things in Jesus' name.